This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. My name is Connor Hawk. After five years in a monastery, I returned home to find out that my mother was keeping a secret from me. I had a real father. Oliver Queen. When I met him, he was broken down by years of fighting crime, but he saw hope in me and began to train me. Before I could get to know my father, he was killed in an explosion in Metropolis, saving lives. Now, I'm here to pick up the pieces and finish what he started. I must pick up the bow and become someone else. I must become the new Green Arrow. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Everyone and welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will follow his journey in the pages of the '90s, 2000 ongoing Robin series and other notable comics of that era. We will also take a look at other Tim Drake appearances in DC Comics, new and old, to find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. <laughs> I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 102. That's so weird to be able to say like 100 something now. This show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. We're also partnering with the Batman Podcast Network at Batman Podcast Network, which is like a sister to Batman on film, of course. You can get a hold of us through all the social media outlets. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. We're on Instagram. And you can email into the show at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. And if you'd like to be a geek like me, we do now have t-shirts on our T Public page. And there is a link on Twitter if you would care to purchase one. So, we have a full house at the Drake House tonight. We have, and I think this is the first time the three of us have been back on the mic since we recorded episode 100, and that seems like that was forever ago, and then Terrence and I had recorded something that was originally supposed to be episode 97, so it's been just a little bit before we have all been on the mic together. We've got Terrence tonight. How are you doing today, sir? Yes, I'm doing great, Rob, and uh, looking forward to going back to the 90s with you. 
And we also have Ryan on the mic. Hello. And our returning guest that uh, I was wanting to get him back on said, oh, we'll, we'll do this again sometime. And Ryan had the idea that these three issues uh, might be a good talking point for us. So we've got returning back is Chris Clow. How are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, I'm, I'm curious about what, uh, what stuck in Ryan's head to be like, hey, Let's get Clow in this one. I really just didn't have it. I just wanted you on a show. (laughs) (laughs) Evidently, it's not going to be a deep episode tonight. It's just for the sake of getting together. Um, And I've been... uh, Here we go. Here's a plug. I've been binging a certain podcast. (laughs) See what I did there? You can sign the check to Rob Myers. (laughs) As Uh, soon as we have any money, I'll let you know. (laughs) About the same time that we do. We need to keep selling some t-shirts there. Yeah, right. Go. <laughs> so far, only one guy's bought one. I think I know his name. Um, <laughs> Mob Ryers. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, the Comic Binge podcast that you do with Paul Herman. Uh, yes. I was just telling you right before we record there that uh, I have about 10 minutes to go on your X-Men episode that uh, Grant Morrison uh, written. And uh, I think I was more in Paul's corner like, ah, I don't know. These costumes are kind of dumb. Well, they're doing it like the movies. And by the second issue of that miniseries that you guys are talking about, I had kind of let that go, and I was really invested uh, into the story. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that's really cool that you've got that going on. Was that, at the time that you did our episode for the uh, Road to 100, was that in the working? Because that was something that you hadn't plugged at the time. I was like, oh, wow, I wonder if that just kind of came out of the blue or kind of what led to that before we get into our feature topic tonight. Yeah, it kind of did come out of the blue, and that blue being Paul Herman's brain. Um, I mean, <laughs> we, for a long time, because you know, Paul and I first met as parts of the the old Modern Myth Media podcast with Sean Gerber and Brad Lang and John Beerley, who's also at BOF still, and... Um, We'd been wanting to do another show together for a long time, and we'd guested on a bunch of other shows, and we're still really good friends. We talk on a on a constant basis all the time, and a lot about comics. And Paul and I would always have these sort of animated conversations about comics over the phone, and he's like, man, we should record this. And I'm like, well, yeah, hey, that would be great. We'll figure something out. And when... You know, Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe started catching a little more fire as regular avenues and subscription services for people to consume years, decades worth of of comic book back catalogs. That was the impetus for inspiration on Paul's part. And he said, let's do the comic binge. And he pitched me on it. And I thought it was a brilliant idea. So I'm going along for the ride with him. Very cool. It's it's something that... uh I binged up to like when by the time the third episode had released, I was like, okay, uh, I, I really can't binge anymore. You guys have to start releasing more episodes. So I think we're going to require at least three episodes a month to. Uh... <laughs> well, we have one. Um, the X Men one is the most recent one that we've released as of right now. Well, November 2nd is when we're recording. But we have one in the bank with uh, someone that Paul and I both admire, Michael Bailey. Who is a pretty well-known DC Comics podcaster? He's oh, yeah. got really good Superman podcasts. He does from Crisis to Crisis with Jeffrey Taylor, who's also a friend of mine, and a number of other things. He's a regular panelist at Dragon Con, and mm-hmm. he came on to talk about um, two very different Peter David stories. The first one was the Last Avengers story, 
And then um, we also talked about uh, the story that features Maestro Hulk from the future, which is a much better story than the last Avengers story is. Uh, So we have a lot of fun. That one should be coming hopefully in the next week or so, I would imagine. And then um, we're thinking up some harebrained scheme for another thing to talk about uh, next time. Hopefully we'll record that in the next few days. Cool. Hey, Rob, I did something... Knowing that Chris was going to be on our podcast this week, I did something kind of in his honor yesterday because I was thinking about what I, th- I think Chris Clow, I think world's hugest Superman fan or world's best <laughs> Superman fan. Or, and so I was thinking about you know Superman 4, The Quest for Peace because uh, I yeah. absolutely love that movie. I, I didn't even know it was coming out. And when I was a kid, I saw it in the newspaper. I'm like, what's this new Superman movie? And I loved it. And every now and again, I'm like... It's 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 bashed so much. Is my memory just clouded, or and then I'll, I'll go and watch it, and I'll be like, no, I love this movie. It's awesome. And so last night I watched Superman Four: The Quest for Peace, and I love it even more. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I'm honored that you did that in my honor yeah. because I've actually written at length in the past about how at least among the the latter two movies, I actually prefer Superman Four to Superman mm-hmm. Three mm. because. Christopher Reeve, I mean, say what, what you want. Yes, the production was cheap and kind of embarrassing in places. When he's walking around on the surface of the moon, you can see the black curtains behind him. <laughs> yeah. Especially on Blu-ray. But, man, Christopher Reeve brought it in in his performance. And that's something that I always find value. in any chance to see the master at work as Superman, I'm going to relish in at least a little bit. So I find I find value in Superman 4. Absolutely. The movie is so charming and has so much heart that I can forgive any kind of special effects cheapness or looping the same footage of Superman flying several times or <laughs> and when I first saw it as a kid I saw it on a little TV that was, you know, standard def on a VHS sure. tape so the the graphics didn't look as bad then, but Gene Hackman is awesome in it too. Just how he always gives himself <laughs> compliments in every scene. And I, Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mastermind of the 20th century. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just love that movie. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up too because um, I'm part of another podcast called Discovery Debrief, which is a Star Trek show about the the, the newest Star Trek TV series, Star Trek Discovery. And I found out that an actress who plays a character in Star Trek Discovery, her, her name is Admiral Cornwell. She's a flag officer and is like the boss of a lot of people that you see on Discovery. Plays the school teacher in Superman 4 hmm. when oh, wow. they're getting ready to watch the news about the, the arms race amping up. I was like, wow, that's Admiral Cornwell. That's pretty bizarre. You never know how those things are going to sort of intertwine. I thought that was funny. Huh, I wonder if that's her voice because the... The dialogue, like the recording of it, is really bad when the yeah, kids talking and the the teachers talking. And I wondered if they dubbed it with different actors or not. Yeah, there's a dubby kind of quality to it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, we'll go from Superman: The Quest of Peace to our <laughs> feet. I don't know. I don't know how to segue <laughs> this, so I'm just going to train wreck it right into a segue. Terrence mentioned at the top of the show we're going to you know be celebrating some 90s here and we're right in the thick of the 90s that we're going to do a three issue crossover with the green arrow book that of course chuck dixon is writing if you know every book we're talking about probably for the next 12 years is probably going to be all written by chuck dixon but this is not the oliver queen version that 
many of you might be familiar with. This is Connor Hawk. And before we get into uh, what the story is, I kind of wanted to go around the room and ask everyone what your what your history is with Connor Hawk. Was this the only Green Arrow for a lot of people when they say the Flash of people of our age, they kind of go right to Wally West being the Flash. So I kind of wanted to go around the room. Was Connor Hawk your Green Arrow, or are were you deep enough into the comics by this point to know of Oliver Queen, and were you there for Connor Hawk coming around? So let's start with Ryan uh, first on mm. this one. You know you might be a little little uh, late mm-hmm. <laughs> in picking stuff up, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what your initial history was with the well... uh, Connor Hawk the only hmm the only connor I, I i think about is is not a not a green arrow it's a superboy yeah so which is kind of interesting that they have multiple characters with the same name being heroes at the same time it's kind of interesting but yeah i i knew of connor hawk like very tangentially i kind of knew he was green arrow at some point or it was a sidekick i've honestly been most exposed to him through the Arrow TV show. That's the only really place I've seen Connor Hawk, and he's a very different version of the character right. um, on that TV show. And, you know, funny enough, this issue we're about to talk about, Green Arrow 105, uh, is, uh, from what I gather, just by reading the comic and reading some of the letter columns, it seems as if uh, this was also kind of in the midst of, I guess they did something sort of like in the 90s when DC was transforming characters you had the death of superman you had nightfall um and you had of course you know uh, other versions of the flash and 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 green lantern i don't know exactly what happened but it seems like in green arrow 100 ollie gets quote killed off or he he has to make a choice of either getting killed or getting his arm cut off or something is that what happens do you know it has been so yeah, long yeah that is since what I read it. You want me to jump in here? Yeah, no, go yeah. ahead. So in issue 100, which I haven't read in 20-something years, but he's got his like arms in like a some kind of device that's like a bomb, and Superman's there, and Superman's either like, I cut off your your arm with my, my vision. Or you, you just know, die completely. You die completely. But then like they never get to like actually make the... You, I, I can't remember now 100% if you don't see it, like if it's off screen, or... Or they didn't get to make it, and the plane crashes. So you think he's dead, but you don't really necessarily see the body, so you're not sure. And so then- it seems like you you you're not sure, but but really he's not dead. But but he's out of commission enough for them to be like, okay, Connor Hawk's a Green Arrow for some amount of time. Do you know how long that he he was Green Arrow in the pages of this? Book? Yeah, so like this whole Superman thing, when I read it, it was like I was geeking out because that was like a direct correlation to the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, that's uh, I was one. I was yeah. asking about that if that if they were doing that on purpose to try to link it up. Yeah, so because he's missing his arm in the Dark Knight Returns, and he's got he's angry at Superman and that and everything, and and so I was like, oh my gosh, this is this it's really happening. What <laughs> happened though? It turns out that the Oliver Queen really dies in the plane crash. But then there's a story where 
Connor thinks that Oliver is still alive and being held somewhere. He finds a photograph of like a prisoner in a jungle somewhere, and it looks like Ollie. And so, oh, he but he really is him, dead. But it's, yeah, but it turned out to be somebody else. So they kind of left that going. It turns out <laughs> he was really dead, and then he was brought back to life when Kevin Smith took quiver. over the book with Quiver. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm yeah. not Man. sure of the exact date of that. Now, did he bring he was, him back to life? Or this is this is really deep yeah, here. He, but he, did he they bring, bring him back to life, or did they like just retcon it? No, they, they brought, brought his body to back to life first, and then he had to go into heaven to get his soul back. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's and, a very comic booky. Okay. And to <laughs> tell you how, how nerdy comic, comic booky that is, Terrence, what did they do? Because Superman plays a part of that to bring Connor back. Do you remember how Kevin pulled uh, that to come I'm back out? Try to remember. I remember he tied it something into the, like, the Final Night miniseries or something, but no, I don't remember. What did he do? I think he... Somebody had was looking at Superman's cape and realized that there were some DNA remnants of Ollie in there, and through that is what kind of birthed Oliver Queen back and why he had to go back and get his soul. So apparently part of him was stuck on Superman's cape, if I'm remembering that right. Chris, can you confirm that? It's been a while since I've read Quiver, but that does ring a bell. Like, they try... When, when he reasserts himself and uh i think the the first line out of his mouth is you look like you've seen a ghost and i always <laughs> thought that that was kind of cool but um batman gives him a pretty thorough examination in the cave the thing that kind of sticks out in my mind the most at least when it comes to batman related stuff in quiver was that ollie i think saw jason todd up there oh mm. And, and, uh, that's pretty significant because that's one of the first times, I guess, that's happened in the comics to that they've acknowledged that he could still be right, just to but, be in the comics at all. Yeah, it's a presence, right? Yeah, but yeah. this was also during that, like, one of the the ways that Ollie was able to sort of cross the, I guess, barrier between life and death is because his best friend was serving as the Spectre during this time. And uh, and that certainly helped kind of grease the skids for getting him back on the other side, so to speak. But I I really liked Quiver as a story, and that was really the first time that I became aware of sort of the comic book side of the Green Arrow. I'd seen Green Arrow show up in a couple of other comics, and when I picked up Grant Morrison's JLA, for instance, you know, Connor showed up a few times in that series, and that was... I think that that was probably my first exposure. So I guess technically speaking, for me, Connor was my first Green Arrow. But um, it wasn't until I started working at a comic book store full-time that I wanted to immerse myself a little more fully in some of the expanded cast of the Justice League and the DC Universe in general, and Mm -hmm. that's when I went to Quiver right away. And um, it was actually from Quiver that sort of extended backward into... Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams Green Arrow stuff. So my understanding of the Green Arrow character is much more heavily focused on Oliver than it is on Connor. But um, I always thought Connor was a badass. I always thought that he was just a cool character. And that's he, he's kind of you guys were mentioning how during this era there's a, a a few different examples of multiple heroes serving under the same code name. And mm-hmm. I feel like Connor Hawk is sort of the more forgotten element that was added as a generational transitional character. 
because I feel like Connor Hawk goes well in line with someone like Tim Drake or with yeah. Cassandra Kane or I guess kind of the, the Perez Titans even. But Kyle Rayner comes to mind immediately, too. And yeah. Kyle Rayner, I know, had some pretty cool um, appearances alongside Connor. So I always had an appreciation for Connor Hawk, but when I don't think I actually read him on an ongoing basis until right around Infinite Crisis when he just showed up as a supporting character in the mainline Green Arrow series. I think it was like Brad Meltzer used him a couple of times after Kevin Smith left that mm-hmm. book. And uh, Judd Winnick, I thought, used him pretty well when um, when he took over Green Arrow. I think that was yeah. either like right around one year later that that started uh, taking place. I believe you're right. And then when when Ollie and Black Canary got married, and uh, there was the Green Arrow Black Canary miniseries, and it looked like Connor was killed or was he he was mortally injured in the first couple of issues of that story, and Green Arrow is freaking out because they're just out on the open water, and all he does is scream at the top of his lungs to the only person that can hear him, Clark, and he's sitting in his office at the Daily Planet and just hears him and just rushes and saves him and says, "I've got him." And I always thought that that was kind of a cool moment. I was just going to say, like, very, um, you know, like, anecdotally, it's funny because a few episodes ago, we, we mentioned Terrence was like, me and Terrence famously live close to each other, but but somehow have, still haven't met each other. And um, our local comic book store had this has this crazy warehouse, right? And every so often, they'll do this, like, surprise, like, secret warehouse sale, and they'll kind of give you the secret location of the secret warehouse, and you go to it, and it's in the shopping complex. And it, the door actually says, like, Ultimate Comics Secret Warehouse. <laughs> and it's this very unassuming little place, and you go, walk in, and it's, like, gigantic. And there's, like, it's like in, you know, Indiana Jones, where you just walk back there, and there's, like, you know, halls and halls worth of comics as far as the eye can see. And they had these boxes and stuff, and it was, like, you know, everything's a dollar, but it was... Every, anything and everything in order. You could find like a book that was twenty years old, or you could buy, or you could find like you know re, DC Rebirth stuff. And it's during that time where I just got a whole bunch of I got a few uh, Robin back issues I didn't have, and then randomly I just saw this Green Arrow one hundred and five, and I'm like, oh cool, that's from the nineties. Hey Tim Drake's on it. Hey Chuck Dixon wrote it. I'll just get that, not knowing that it actually kind of connected to. Uh, to a couple of Robin issues, and so it turned out to be like a good pick, especially because like it, it's like one of the only it's one of the few like single issues of a, a Green Arrow series I have at all. So that just shows you, you know, how Green Arrow illiterate I am. That's funny. We we had that too. With if you remember Rob, when we had the other podcast, we had Sherlock, and we oh, asked yeah. her to do this random Robin. I think was it Robin Annual Four. And yeah. it just happened to be that that was like one of like five comics she owned that her sister had given her. <laughs> like the most random comic. Didn't have to yeah. go out and get it. That's where we had it. Just uh, for the sake of being complete, I just reviewed issue number seven of the 2001 Green Arrow series, which is from Quiver. And yeah, so you guys were right. The microscopic element from Ollie that was left right. over on Superman's cape was manipulated by Parallax into bringing Ollie's body back. Oh my gosh. So this was right before Hal Jordan had pretty much killed himself off for the first time, right before he became the Spectre. So that's how the body came back, and it was the Spectre that facilitated him going 
onto the other side to convince his soul to come back into his body. Oh. Wow. I, now, I, I want I, this, I want like, I want this quiver story to be like, on the Comet Binge podcast now because I want a good excuse to read it. Is it? That's not a bad idea. Is it? No. Fif- is it? F- is it? Fifteen issues? It's. Ten, I believe it's either ten or eleven. If I'm. But Kevin correctly. Smith wrote like fifteen issues. Yeah, yeah. He 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 did one additional arc after Quiver. I mean, Quiver. Okay. It was a pretty solid critical hit. I mean, it even justified the publication of an absolute edition. I know. I'm looking at it on eBay right now. I think. I'm yeah. Get it. I I thought it was great. I mean. It was the first time that I'd ever really read a Kevin Smith comic book story, and his word balloons, especially in those early issues, mm. were huge. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the guy, he knows what his strength is, and his strength is dialogue. And yeah. um, But as far as like being a, a pretty solid story for bringing Oliver Queen back, he took the – I think he probably took the first approach that Johns would take later with Hal Jordan – in that, look, we don't need to undo anything. We don't need to retcon anything. Everything happened. So let's just find a way to bring this guy that we all love back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love and, that approach. Yeah. Because if you're doing it in the mainline comic book series, there's no reason not to try to do that. You have to embrace continuity if you're doing mm-hmm. that. You know, yeah. like if you if you try and sidestep it, then people are going to know and it's going to feel kind of cheapened. But the novelty of Kevin Smith coming to write in a comic book series and the fact that, um, you know, he's got a silver tongue himself and he transfers that to a character who also has one. It's a really fun read, and I might have to consider uh, making Paul read that. That would probably be fun. Because I always heard like that for years, Kevin Smith always wanted to do Green Arrow, right? And like he, mm-hmm. whenever he would get to go into the DC offices, he would talk to like one of the editors or something. And he'd be like, "Hey, man, I know, I know what you should. If you ever need somebody to write Green Arrow, I got some ideas." And they'd be like, "Who are you?" And then eventually, <laughs> when he got famous enough for them to pay attention or whatever, they were like. Hey, you want to write Green Arrow? And he's like, oh my God. And so, like, that's when he did it. Yeah, and I think it yeah. stemmed from when he was briefly attached to writing the next Superman. The Superman movie, yeah. exactly. Because that's he would always it. have to go to the DC offices and he would check the DC archives. And I think he made friends with Mike Carlin, if I'm remembering right. Mm. And I remember he also said, hey, you know, like he said to the movie people, you guys have an army of writers. <laughs> Why don't you use them? Superman stories. Why not use them? And there's just like, hey, they're comic book people. They, they don't yeah. understand. And so, they don't know the characters. Like, it's yeah. so, so weird. Right. All right. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> WP. Uh, Terrence, what do you got on Connor real quick before we get into this uh, bad boy? Yeah, so I didn't really remember Green Arrow as a character as a little kid growing up, like from the Super Friends. Maybe he was on. The <laughs> I thought Super you were going to say until like just yesterday. <laughs> yeah, until until yeah. I saw this Arrow this show. Text. Yeah, like, Green Arrow. I thought he was a lantern. What the heck? All right, and um, so then I actually started getting into the Green Arrow comic around. I think it was issue eighty-one, if I'm getting it right, because Jim Aparo from Nightfall fame start was the artist on the book. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, this is the Batman guy. I like his stuff. And so I actually thought when they kind of introduced Connor as Ollie's son and all that, I thought they were making a new Speedy. I thought he was going to be like a Tim Drake, you know, copy that mold. So I always kind of thought I, I never really thought of him as the Green Arrow. I always thought of him as, oh, he's going to be speedy. They're, they're going to bring Ollie back, and he'll be speedy. So, I, But I always liked him character. He wasn't really uh, an obnoxious, arrogant teenager. He was he was very much like Tim Drake, and uh, 
with Dixon writing both books, there's there's a lot of similarity in the characterization. Yeah, well, let's just get into this. This is now on a our previous episode that Terrence and I had recorded a while back. We have been talking about Carl Rannick for a while and kind of, you know, all the plot points that Chuck Dixon is able to set up and pay off and reset up new ones. Tim has had this high school, we'll just call him a bully right at the onset, at least as far as the perspective that Tim has had of like, oh, we know how the story is going to end for Carl. And prepping for this podcast today, I had a little bit different take on Carl than what I initially did. And uh, I'll be kind of curious to see where you land on your feelings of Carl after this three issues are over. So we're going to jump right into Green Arrow 105, Robin 25, and Robin 26. And uh, this is going to be the first meeting of Connor Hawk and Tim Drake Robin. And it's really interesting. I shouldn't say interesting. Again, we keep saying it all the time on the show about Chuck Dixon, that Dixon doesn't play like, oh, you're Green Arrow. Oh, you're Robin. We know each other. I like that how he keeps everything that this is the first meeting of these two people. And yeah, they Connor kind of knows about there being a, you know, are you Batman's partner and knows Tim knows about a green arrow. So it's very organic how the two of them kind of meet and it folds into the story. So I want to take a look at the cover here for green arrow one Oh five. I think this is a really, really cool cover here. And uh, it's got Connor Hawk jumping off of probably uh, some type of a building with uh, explosions behind him, firing arrows towards the camera with Tim Drake doing some kicks and punches to a, a goon behind him. So a very uh, a kinetic cover. And I just kind of want to get you guys' uh, take on the cover for 105. Let's start with Terrence. Yeah, I like I like the cover a lot. The exploding like sign in the background looked like almost like a hotel marquee. It kind of reminded mm-hmm. me a little bit of... Uh, was it under the red hood? Do they do that, or is it? Uh, I can't. I'm getting confused with the, the red hoods. I know on some marquee where it says Robins and Robin, but um, no, I thought actually the. I think the cover artist is the same artist, DiMaggio, and yeah. uh, I thought the art throughout the entire book was really good, including the cover. Uh, let's go to Chris. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, I always like fire on a cover anyway. Um, like, I that's always just something that I've found to be generally eye catching. But no, I mean, Robin's not looking in the best way on this cover, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's also not his book, so that's a little forgivable. But um, no, it's uh, he's got a really strong line, and the anatomy's solid. So yeah, I think that he's. Uh, I, I agree with Terrence. I think he's really solid. Uh, Ryan, what do you got for the cover before we get into the interior of the book? Well, clearly, this cover should be a poster. Yeah, clearly. So, be on my wall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, when I found the issue, it was good enough for to catch my eye and be like, oh, this is an awesome-looking cover. It's, it's a Green Arrow issue, but Tim Drake's on the cover? Heck, yeah, I'm going to get that. So, yeah, it's it's great. It's dynamic. It's, stuff is exploding, and you got your, your two main characters on the front. Like, can't really ask for more than that. So the initial plot of the story is guns and this plasma type of a weapon is coming into Gotham City and uh, Connor Hawk, Batman and Robin are in, in Gotham City and Batman and Robin are tracking down Black Mask. And one of the first things that took me aback a little bit is that we are still going with the original look of Black Mask where 
it's it's a mask, but it's done more in that it's the shape of his face till it becomes more of an actual looks like the the black skull that I think we traditionally associate with black mask. And it looks like there's a whole horde of other like Z list characters that are in the potential buying of the uh, weapons here and getting the first couple shots of Batman and Robin on the night sky on page four, I think looks absolutely beautiful. It's, it's colored phenomenally. And the colorist is Lee Longenridge, if I'm saying uh, his name, right. But the colors are just immaculate for the whole entire book. We're used to having Adrian Roy being the uh, featured colorist in a lot of the Dixon universe books. But this is the first book that I um, can recall that it it being somebody other than uh, Adrian Roy. Uh, So what did you guys think of the opening of the book and then seeing Batman and Robin and how Batman, of course, is going to go chase after Black Mask, leaving Tim to deal with the uh, low level and still having that moment of keeping Robin out of harm's way while Batman is uh, doing, you know, the the big dirty thing that uh, needs to be done. Let's go to uh, Ryan with this one. I just I love the way the book opens because I'm like, whoa, is this a Batman book or a Green Arrow book? Because <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah, because they spend they like, spend a few, you know, it gets you into the mood of like oh we're in gotham in their black mask i i thought it was interesting how they continue to speak about black mask without the space between his name so it's black mask i'll stick with black mask i wonder if that was like i, I didn't think that was how they spelled his name back then or maybe that was just a lettering thing because this is like green arrow and they're like i don't know how to deal with black mask but it's chuck dixon writing it so you think it would be consistent so i just thought that yeah. was an interesting little editorial note there or whatever but uh it is kind of cool because it's it does set the playing field of and i think i don't know if it's this issue or the i think it's maybe in the issue after this and the robin issue after this where they kind of establish that um connor is kind of on the same level as as tim drake robin like Mm -hmm. you know i don't know if it's the same like skill level or whatever but but maybe the same you know, same more, beat. Yeah, it was like, in, I think that was in the next issue. Yeah, they're kind of in the same, the same like pedigree of of, of hero and and uh, you know ranking or whatever. So it was, yeah, it was interesting that Batman kind of and the, he takes someone to do that with Robin in the main Robin series too. Like when Batman comes in, and we'll see this at in the third issue. We talk about like, well, like Batman's there and things get set up, but then uh, the story leaves it to. To like Robin or or whatever to kind of pick it up and and keep going from there. Uh, what do you got, Chris? I love the um, the page where you actually see Batman sort of crouching over the skylight. Mm-hmm. I think that that's just a really solid image that's very effectively rendered. I think the colors do a lot to to sort of emphasize it. it like it looks like, hey, that is Batman and he's kneeling there. I love those kinds of perspectives. But yeah, it sets things up in an interesting way, and it kind of effectively takes Batman off the board for the duration of the story, which is important. Like, he's got bigger fish to fry, right? So he's going to go off and do that, which will pretty much leave Robin to his own devices, and that's what leads to the ultimate encounter that we see between Connor and Tim. So... Yeah, I think it's a good way to kick things off, and it's an effective way to sort of explain to the readers why Batman isn't in this story for its whole duration, and uh, and it's good. Terrence, all right. So uh, I think I didn't even realize this till right now. I think it's a testament to how popular the Drake was at the time. 
that on the cover there's no Batman, but when you open up the first page or first couple pages, there's all this Batman in a day and age where they were putting Batman on the cover of everything to sell every book. It's pretty, pretty awesome. And yeah, I, I like the, the way it opens up. I like how, you know, Batman's treating Tim Drake as a partner, not just, you know, telling him go away, you know, gives him a responsibility on his own and, uh, sets up, um, a good, um, team up a little bit later on in the pages the gentleman that's firing the the plasma weapon is milo armitage if i'm saying uh his name right and uh that figures into the next few pages of the book and again this is one of those things that uh, stan lee is famous for saying and chuck dixon does a very good job of it that every comic could be somebody's first comic so when i said oh you know we're gonna do this book i instantly thought of like oh holy crap how much how much backlog and how much history are we going to have to do to kind of explain who Connor Hawk is? And it's done in these first two or three pages dealing with Connor Hawk of meeting his mother. And you find out a little bit later through a conversation with Robin that he spent about five years in a monastery. So in the course of about six to seven pages, you get caught up completely on who Connor Hawk is. And he's still a very new green arrow. Uh, Chuck Dixon came onto this book on uh, issue 94, so it wouldn't be you know that many issues that Chuck Dixon has to really work on who Connor Hawk is and start laying the groundwork to be able to tie this story you know, quasi into the uh, Robin books with it being the Gunrunners. So I thought that was really cool with bringing in his mother and they have the exchange back and forth. Connor not wanting to really have this guy Milo be his stepfather and gets into the whole nastiness of beating his mother and the makeup can't hide that. So Dixon is playing with a lot of heavy themes in here later on going into the Robin book with gun violence and also spousal abuse in here and how Connor is kind of torn dealing with his mother being married to this other guy and that he's a, a bad seed. So I thought this next section was really cool. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts on this section? Let's uh, kick it over to uh, Chris on this one. It's a, it's a good way to establish stakes. And for those of you who aren't, or for those readers who are not particularly familiar with what the family dynamics look like for Connor Hawk, then uh, then I think it's a good way to, to potentially get new readers invested in what he's trying to do. So I appreciate it. It's kind of a means to an end because that's when Robin starts to come into the picture pretty quickly. And uh, for those Robin buyers who might have jumped over for this one issue because they saw the Drake on the cover, it's a good and, a, and quick, effective way to, to sort of get you invested in what Connor's doing and what he brings to the table. I thought the same thing. Just um, reading this, I was like, oh, man, I don't know how out of depth my depth I am <laughs> reading this Green Arrow thing at the <laughs> middle of whatever. But I think he's obviously Dixon is writing it with uh, Tim Drake readers in mind. He's like, OK, if Tim Drake's on the cover, he's kind of a, like a guest star. That means people are going to pick this up, you know, that don't normally read this book. So it's it's easy to make Tim Drake a cipher for the reader in some ways when when Tim's like catch me up to speed pretend like I know what's going on but explain things <laughs> to me and stuff like that so that's like oh I'm like great that's exactly the questions I would be asking I think we saw some of that too in um, gosh what was it the, uh, the our infamous episode that covered the the Robin <laughs> plus impulse issue <laughs> is that what you're yeah. thinking of yeah. yeah that's exactly what I was thinking of yeah. <laughs> 
For those of you who don't remember, that is the infamous, uh, we recorded our audio and then, uh, whoops, my audio didn't record, so I had to go back and re-record my vocal track in response to what Terrence said. Yeah, go back and check that episode out. <laughs> Terrence, what do you got? You know, even though I read these Green Arrow books when they came out, I kind of forgot a lot of them, and I was kind of trying to remember. For some reason, I thought Connor's mother was Lady Shiva, but <laughs> I was <laughs> way wrong on that. And then, But reading into it on Wikipedia, it'll come back because um, there's some storylines in the future with Lady Shiva and Silver Monkey and Connor and Tim where they, they have a lot of uh, adventures and en- encounters. So we'll be seeing more of them. But uh, yeah, it, it's kind of sad the way his relationship is with his mother and the mother, like he mentions the bruises on her face and, and she's with this arms dealer. So um, it's pretty bad. And then Eddie fire flyer, is it that comes in? I'd kind of forgotten about him, but he always bugged me in yeah. the series. Cause I thought he looked too much like commissioner Gordon. And I'd always be like, <laughs> yeah. what, what is, I don't know why that's maybe just a pet peeve, but yeah. And I don't, I don't get with the um, lettering why it's, uh, as Ryan was saying before, black mask is one word, not two. But it always was weird with comic books how everything's in capital letters except for the letter I. I think, though, that if I was not reading Green Arrow and picked this up as the Tim Drake issue, I probably would continue reading this book to see what would happen. I, there's enough in it to, to keep me to – ma- or to make me come back the next month, I should say. Yeah, I think if I bought this in, in, during the original release, I would have been I would have probably been more inclined to pick up the next issue of this. Yeah, and I'd be lying if I said there's not a part of me that's like, well, maybe the next time I go <laughs> I'll look for com- like, comic yeah. shop, maybe I had to go to the G's and look for volume two of, <laughs> of, Green, of Green Arrow. And the one thing that I really like about – Hey, real quick before you jump into that it- – Actually, collecting the whole run of Connor Hawk probably wouldn't be that bad. Cause no. He hasn't appeared, I think, since the New 52. I don't think he's been – maybe in Earth 2, I think it said something. but So he hasn't been around for like the last seven or eight years, and his runs weren't that long. So, you know, if you – if you, there you, you go. Know. So when everyone loves the Drakens, you can make everyone yeah. loves the Hawk. <laughs> I was going to say, if, you, if you've got your entire Azrael run done and you, you're looking for the next run, is the Hawk. Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. But something I really like out of this book is the Robin book takes a little bit different turn as far as action goes. Dixon doesn't waste any time in the action of getting Tim in the room, them fighting Milo running out of the room and then Tim and Connor almost getting blasted into the hotel room. And then immediately Tim fires the bat line out and they're zipping down. And I love the shot that is down on page 12 of Connor and Tim with Connor using the bow as a, a gliding apparatus down a line that uh, he shot off and Tim is swinging underneath him. I think that's just a, a really cool moment. And for us, Tim Drake, Redbird fans, seeing the Redbird show up here in a Green Arrow book, I thought was was really pretty cool. And uh, just the little exchange that uh, they have in here, talking about you know about about the car and and saying you know thanks. It's one of the perks. You like the car? And he's like, well, I don't drive. And that's where you get the explanation of him being in the monastery and uh, uh, things like that. So the, these next few sections go rather pretty quickly, but uh, Dixon doesn't chintz out on action and dialogue at all and it gets them to the uh, train depot where we do have just one more shot of uh, batman in this whole entire issue here before we get towards the uh, latter part of this book 
So what do you guys think about Connor and Tim and the Redbird, which I always think is really kind of cool to see another hero in the Redbird with Tim, aside from a Stephanie Brown or something like that. You know, he's had Wally in the uh, Redbird before. Now he has Connor here. So what do you guys think about uh, Dixon's use of uh, movement and telling the story and just the pace that Dixon uses in uh, telling a story? And in, in the art, too, as well, is just fantastic. Let's go to uh, Terrence with this one. Sorry, I was looking up hawk puns for, for the next uh, Connor <laughs> podcast. We got uh, This is Hawkward, uh, Air Hawking, <laughs> Hawk This Way, oh, Hawk man. Been Loaded, Hawkness Monster. So so when when you're ready to start that, Rob, I'm I'm good. All right, um, sounds great. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go full on nerd, deep dive, melting keyboard on you here. If you look on page fourteen, the guy shoots the whatever kind of ray gun he calls it, I forget what he calls it, at the uh, hotel and if you look at the letters of the hotel the m-a-r-l-t-o they're the same letters on the front cover so even though they're not like jumping from that i think that's kind of cool that the artist kept that continuity the scenes uh, first of all i totally geeked out when the red bird because i always think the red bird crashed from shotgun smith in the first issue i always forget that it's still around but um i geeked out seeing it i love the coloring inside the the greens that are used inside the red bird but when robin throws the batarang at the taxi and he refers to it as my rang (laughs) that that was jarring has has any batman character ever before or since referred to a batarang as my rang i think we've i think it's come up in some other dixon issues in this era before and we've called it out then too uh, yeah, that's just weird. But uh, overall, you know, it's Dixon, so the action and the pace flows fantastically. <laughs> it flows? As in it's fluid? And there's a lot of fluidity? Fluidity. You know what's funny? My daughter had a uh, performance at school for dance, and my wife was describing how good she did and said, like, oh, some of the other dancers, like, they just do the movements, but but Danielle had such great fluidity. And I was like, ah, funny you should say that. And I, like, on the podcast, and her eye roll was like, so like, like oh, I, I tuned out yeah. when you said podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Chris. Look, it's always great to see the Redbird. I'm a, I'm a Redbird fan, and I agree that uh, having the cab kind of illuminated in green is kind of a nice touch, and it's an effective way to sort of get the exposition out of the way to so that we can understand a little bit more about Connor for those people that might be jumping into Green Arrow from reading Robin on an ongoing basis. As far as the the rang is concerned, I mean, hey, Rob, he's he's Robin. He uses the hip lingo. Like he loves third in, base. I mean, in, in that '60s <laughs> issue of uh, Teen Titans, when someone was pretending to be a teenager, is like, look, if he was really a teenager, he would have called it jive, not music. You know, it was like an old Bob Haney <laughs> issue. I mean, that was Dick Grayson, but still, you take my meaning. Yeah. But yeah, no, I. I, I I always appreciate efficient exposition, and I think that uh, that Dixon is an efficient uh, person at, at describing exposition for a character, especially considering that Connor's story is not really a simple one, but he gets yeah. the basics out of the way, and the story moves along, and, uh, and the issue's better for it. And I didn't even really realize that on the first read that it is, has started to rain, and I wasn't even aware that Connor had a hood for the longest time and uh, he's got it up in a uh, two two shots here and that definitely looks like you know oliver queen green arrow in those uh, couple shots but uh oh, that's pretty cool what do you got yeah. ryan i just yeah i went as soon as i turned the page and then 
see the red bird there, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Just because, and I think that's one of those things where you don't. I don't think you get scenes like that if you didn't have somebody like Chuck Dixon writing a book, because he was writing so many of the DC books at the time. He knew what toys he had to play with, and so I'm sure when he was writing this, it was like, oh, I've got Tim Drake in here. Oh, we could have the red bird. Oh man, I could have. Tim and, you know, Connor Hawk and the Red Bird. And, and, you know, that kind of stuff is just fun to see. It's like, you know, a kid getting all the toys out of the toy box and making them all work. So I love when you can see that kind of stuff in a book like this. It's It really is making me want to seek out other crossover type issues of this era that might potentially have cool combinations like that in it. Yeah. One thing that I really like in this as well is the I wish this was explored a little bit more with Dixon doing the characters that Connor and Tim, I mean Tim's have the every best friend is going to be named Connor for Tim, but uh, Connor Hawk and Tim work really well together as a as their own Batman and Superman if you will or you know Green Arrow, Green Lantern type of characters. They're roughly about the same age, they've had the same training and uh can't remember if it's in the Robin issue, if it's in this, and I think it's in the Robin issue where they're pointing out each other's fighting styles, like, oh, I was trained in this, oh, I was doing that, but they're acknowledging that back and forth. And what really makes me like this is page nineteen. Once they've got up with Connor's stepfather here, and he's got the you know the laser cannon pointed at the two of them, and it's been raining the whole entire time, and he you know makes some comment of like, oh, sorry, we didn't get to know each other, stepson, for your mother's sake, and he goes to squeeze the trigger and it doesn't work and the the two of them give that look of like oh you're going to do that thing and they leap in the air and you get that half splash panel which is just fantastic seeing the two of them uh, leap up in the air before we close out the book that fighting scene you're talking about is in robin 25 page 9 when they're on the basketball court so before we get to the end of it here what did you guys think about uh how they catch up with connor's stepfather here and uh we'll uh get some uh, closing thoughts and uh, the connection that leads us into the Robin book. Let's go to Chris. Oh, it's, it's, it's great. I really like how this issue ends because, I mean, you mentioned the, just the, I guess the camaraderie that they have. It's, it looks like the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And I like that because it doesn't seem like there are, at least these days, I guess, everybody who becomes friends in comics has to go through like this arduous fighting process first. Mm-hmm. And I, I found it kind of refreshing that they they immediately understand that they have a rapport, that they work well together, and that they like each other and they're friends now. And I just think that that's cool. It doesn't seem like that that happens particularly often anymore. And there's something, yes, you can have those sort of complicated character studies where, you know, Batman has to, or Superman has to earn the trust of Batman and vice versa, and they clash because they have different philosophies, and but they learn more about each other when they become friends, and that's fine. Those stories have value. But I also like that, first of all, these are young guys, you know, like maybe like 16, 17 years old, so they are just predisposed to recognizing when they encounter someone who's kind of like them. So they're friends. And I think that that's cool. But yeah, just it sets up the rest of the story in a way that I find 
effective. It's it's enough of a tease that it would probably would have made me jump into the next Robin issue just on its own merits, and that's not something that necessarily happens very easily especially now like in the 90s i feel like readers were predisposed to crossovers every single week Mm -hmm. and you know readers of the superman books were keeping track of the triangle numbers and uh and bouncing around 75 different x books at any given (laughs) time so it probably kind of just rolled off the back like water off of a duck but yeah, I think it's an interesting enough tale to follow along with, especially if you're sort of into this kind of brand of superheroism. What do you got, Terrence? Yeah, maybe the art, maybe it's in Chuck's script, but I do like the fact that they can smile at each other. There's a couple of good pages yeah. on here, yeah. like 19 and 20, where they kind of like look at each other and give a smile, and that's something that Batman can't do, but Robin can, but yet it can still be a mature book that's, you know, not like R-rated, but, you know, like not a, not yeah. a little kid book, you know, and uh, hold hold your interest and just be be pretty awesome. Right. Yeah, the smiling reminds me of a lot. You know, you would see that a lot in modern books in um, in like the Tynan detective run with Eddie Barrow's art in particular. Yeah. You would get a lot of smiling Tim Drake. And sometimes it was more like I've got the upper hand and I'm badass and stuff. But, yeah, that it makes me think of that. The other two things I had to say are that uh, Connor's mom sucks. Man, she's she, yeah. she's trip, man. <laughs> good grief. She's like so passive aggressive. I was a good mom, but mom, you sent me away and you like don't love me. Yeah, so what? What's I supposed to do? Also, it's uh, your fault and stuff. You're too much like your father. I'm like, "Oh my god, this uh, no wonder he <laughs> turned out the way he did." Um, unstable home life ooh. to say the least. Ooh. Yeah. Also, I thought that the pace of this book felt very modern to me. I, I've, you know, it mm-hmm. it really flows. I mean, jokes aside, it does flow very well. Uh, it has a good combination of splash pages in action and dialogue that gets you into the story, but isn't so doesn't like hammer you too much with a bunch of dialogue, but you get everything you need to know just through the natural flow of the story. And I think this probably kind of I'd say that's pretty cinematic in a way. Like it's it's almost like the way a movie would do it, you know, mm-hmm. jumping from scene to scene and giving you the info you need to know, which is really kind of a hallmark of of Chuck Dixon's writing just in general. So, yeah, I really liked it and um the thing that you know, I was already going to get the issue, but I thumbed through it when I first bought it at that uh warehouse sale and the thing that really got me was uh was the fact that it says, "Hey, <laughs> there's more Connor Hawk and Robin in uh this month's issue of Robin." I was like, "Well, dang." I gotta go get that. And I like how that is organically built into the story that Connor doesn't say, Well, I'm done here and then it just seems clunky for the next one that it's Robin that says, Hey, do you have any extra time to stay in? And Connor's like, Yeah, I can I can hang out more like a friend would. Like you go see a game or something like that and uh you'd say, Well, do you, you gotta leave right away? No, I can hang out and grab a beer. So the two of them have have this built in chemistry already and I like how that if you're following along, you start realizing, you know, where where the story is going to go here. So before we uh, kick it over, if you want to do uh, one of the letters we were talking about, Ryan, uh, since we probably won't ever do another Green no. Arrow, <laughs> at least the the letter here and see what you know what was said about Green Arrow. Off the surface, uh, what did you guys think about this as 
a quasi tie-in to uh, the main Robin story that we're talking about and just the uh, issue overall. Let's uh, go to Terrence with this one. Yeah, I, I thought it was a solid issue. I really enjoyed it. It was classic Chuck Dixon. Great throwback from the 90s, but as Ryan said, it, it felt very modern. The artwork was fantastic. So, yeah, overall, I really liked it. Even the ads brought me back. You you know, you've got some Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern in there. You've got some old PlayStation games. You've got our next big uh, thing that is probably giving Rob sleepless nights, some ads for Contagion, Contagion. coming up. <laughs> the worst tagline ever, there is no cure. The disease starts spreading in January. That's just <laughs> awful. Who thought yeah. of that? You know, but... Um, the one letter we wanted to read was from someone named Drake, but I, I'm also shocked that you know Green Arrow has a name for their letter column, Sherwood Forum, but yet Robin still in 25 still. and 26, still just Robin. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I liked. I like. I think the whole time I was pleasantly surprised with how how much I liked this issue. It was easy to jump into. A lot of other 90s titles, I think, might not have been so easy to jump into and like actually get and enjoy. <laughs> so I think there's a lot to be said about that being able to, and that's that's kind of what you want in a comic book. You can just go in and buy. Like I can buy Green Arrow 105 and not be too lost and right. want to buy more. I think that's I think that's what you would want. So uh, yeah, it was great, Chris. Yeah, very solid. I especially now, you know, I appreciate Connor Hawk as a character much more than I did when I was younger. So it's cool to see instances where he's interacting with uh, an, another character that I do know a little bit better. And um, you know, anything that can potentially open up the world of Green Arrow to more people, it's it's a very interesting corner of the DC universe that's gone through so much change over the last 30 years in particular. Right. And I mean even just on the on the Oliver Queen side of it, this was not super long. This was about a, I don't know, 5 or 6 years after Mike Grell put his uh his stamp mm-hmm. on Green Arrow and mm-hmm. If you've never read the Longbow Hunters, I heartily recommend it. It's a yeah. it's a total recharacterization of of Green Arrow and his world compared with what we had seen in the decades prior, and uh, it's just a brutal sort of hard hitting kind of story that still, while pushing Ollie in kind of a new direction, it still feels kind of true to what he wants to do, and uh, so that's recommended. But yeah, as far as this one is concerned, solid and. Uh, a nice push into the Robin issues. So yeah, let's uh, let's take a look at that uh, Drake letter. Ironically, <laughs> for for this Ryan, you got that? Yeah. So uh, I guess the we're on Green Arrow 105, but the letters column is is in response to Green Arrow 100, where we did talk about that a little bit in terms of it being a landmark issue where Oliver like you know, dies, doesn't know, like, okay, everybody thinks he's dead, at least for now, until, uh, <laughs> until continuity <laughs> catches up with him. This guy named, uh, it seems like, uh, they've stopped putting everybody's full addresses on here, which I guess was probably a good idea back Top in the day, because they totally did used to give, well, I made sense back in the day, I guess, when people wanted to start making pen pals and be like, I'm going to write that guy later, but man, kind of not, not that great of an idea. And maybe, uh, they caught on to that, so they don't even. They didn't even put like the the city and state or anything. So maybe there was a a switch there in editorial where they just wanted to put the names. So this letter is from Tom Drake, and uh, I've been uh, tasked in reading this letter in uh, in a fanboy type of voice because it seems to be a fanboy type of letter. So 
hopefully it's not a jumbled mess and we can all understand it. So, what Tom Drake has to say, my name is Tom Drake, and this is what I have to say. This is absolutely the poorest landmark issue I've ever read. The way this 100th issue ended in a cliffhanger, I wouldn't be surprised to see all these decisions dragged out further to 102. Lastly, I need to express my extreme disappointment in what has happened to a character who is second only to Batman for me. Unlike revisions of Green Lantern, Hawkman, and Aquaman, Green Arrow has not been updated, just let down, much like your readers. <laughs> my goodness. Tom Drake was not happy. And he, and he showed his dissatisfaction by buying the next 80 issues of Green Arrow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you might want to clean your microphone, dude. Oh. Yeah. I've got a windscreen. Uh, you're, you're, you're all good, then. Hey, Rob, I know this is totally not fluidity here because it's totally out of order. But one thing I wanted to ask, and I completely forgot. I can't wait until like, I take. I can't wait until we get a review on iTunes for everyone loves the Drake. My name is Tom Drake, and I used to love listening <laughs> yeah. to this podcast until one fateful day. Tom Drake. <laughs> Tom Drake, man. I thought I thought the podcast was about me, and then, but uh, Eddie Eddie Flyer is it Eddie Flyer or Fryer? What's the guy's name? Fryers. Fryers. Yeah. There's a scene where Tim is like, "Wow, I took down Eddie Fryer, the Eddie Flyers." A lady Shiva mentioned him to me. Was that ever an issue? Is that just something thrown in here? Or was there like the did Chuck Dixon really like put that in an issue four years earlier or something? I have zero idea. That's why okay. I'm going to have to pick up these Green Hero issues to find out. The yeah, comic vine is usually pretty too. good about like figure finding out extra characters and, and looking at whatever other issues they've been in. Well, I'm uh, trying to do that right now to see uh, where we go. He has appeared uh, 79 times and. Uh, yeah, it said it go- I was looking at him before. It said he went all the way back, I think, to the Longbow Hunters. It was where mm-hmm. he was introduced and all that. But I just didn't know. But it could be because there is a storyline coming up with Connor and Tim and Lady Shiva. And that maybe that was just like he threw that in to show what was coming. Not necessarily that it was actually in. But, he, you know, Robin meets Lady Shiva in his original miniseries, correct? Correct. So maybe it was something from that. I don't know. Well, as Kevin Smith used to once say, all right, folks, that's where we're going to put a pin in it. I always liked when he did that to let you know, hey, there's more to this episode. This is the end of this particular episode. And I thought at the time that we were recording this, oh, we'll cover these three issues in one episode. And in like typical Drake fashion, we get two episodes out of one recording session, which if I was being honest, I really hoped that was going to happen with having Chris on the show. There was a great discussion in the Green Arrow issue, and by the time we got to Robin 25 and 26, I realized, oh, we hit the two-hour mark. So I was very happy to get two episodes out of one recording session. So come back in two weeks, and we'll continue the Green Arrow-Robin crossover with Robin 25 and 26. So on the behalf of Terrence, Ryan, and myself, and our special guest, Chris Clow, you've been listening to the BatmanUniverse.net, and more importantly, you've been listening to Robin. Everyone loves a drink. We'll see you in a couple weeks.
Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media. Also, over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Yeah.